The sequel cast airs Wednesdays, 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific Time on Cascadia.fm online internet streaming radio you can also download episodes of the sequel cast from www.sequelcast.com it's a real war right outside your front door i tell ya out where they'll kill ya you could use a friend there was a podcast called the sequel cast they talked about movies and they talked about something else called boobies the sequel cast it's the sequel cast it's the sequel cast www.sequelcast.com Hello and welcome to the sequel cast. This is a movie, uh, this is a podcast where we talk about movies in a franchise one movie at a time. This time around we're starting with the uh, Rambo cycle of films, starting with the original film, First Blood. With us we have Thrasher. Howdy. Jersey Jason. Hey. And a very special guest, very honored to have him, David Morrell. He wrote the novel First Blood in which the movie First Blood is based. A lot of people don't even realize that might have been, uh, that was based off a book. But the book and the uh, movie are quite good and quite different in uh, what they're trying to do. But overall, tell a similar sort of story as far as a man on the run from the police. David, as I was reading the uh, book, First Blood, looking on your website, it talks about your experience with uh, wilderness survival training. And you still read stories, even though this is 2010, of families going camping and a little boy or runoff and... You know, sometimes they find them, sometimes they don't in the woods. If, yeah. if you're to go in the woods, what is one piece of equipment you can have with you for survival? A, a compass. A compass? A compass would be a very handy thing to have. See, I was going to say dynamite. Excuse me? I was going to say dynamite, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rambo might take dynamite, but no, the, I mean, if you're lost in the woods, what happens, there are two, two theories about this. One is, People go hiking and they go off a trail and they don't know what they're doing. And um, now, of course, the more sophisticated version of a compass is a GPS device. Uh, trouble being that sometimes you can't get a signal and sometimes batteries fail and you know stuff happens. But a compass is pretty reliable. But you do know you do have to know how to use one, and the compass can only be effective when it has some point of reference to compare it to a map, for example, or a landmark that you would know was, say, due north, and then you can orient the compass toward that, and then it would tell you where you were going. And, of course, it would be nice to know where you were headed. And so uh, I, I don't understand people that go into the forest uh, without um, any sense of the terrible things that can happen to them. And I spent, uh, you know, what you're alluding to is I, in 1973, I spent 35 days in the Wind River Range of Wyoming with an organization called the National Outdoor Leadership School. And uh, basically, we lived in those mountains for that amount of time. And at the end of the uh, instruction, we covered a lot of this. We were being taught all the time. But at the end of the session on the 30th day, they took away our food and left us with a canteen of water with a compass and a map. And they told us that three days from them, uh, 
they showed us a point on the map where they would pick us up, and uh, it was over the Continental Divide. It was it was a distance, um, and basically there were I forget how many. I think there were 20 of us, and we divided into smaller groups. And I, uh, you know, uh, with all the, the the means that I had learned about how to get along in the forest in the mountains, I, you know, it, it was possible to use that compass and that map and to get the heck out of there. Uh, but, and from that, I just learned so much to respect what the wilderness is like. And, you know, the larger issue here is that I do that pretty regularly, not, not necessarily going into the mountains, but for most of my books, I do a lot of vigorous physical training and physical um, research. Uh, for a recent book called The Shimmer, for example, which has a lot of uh, aircraft sequences in it, uh, single-engine um, prop planes, I knew that um, that in a lot of books that people just fake it, and I decided I'd take uh, <clears throat> some flying lessons in order to get a sense of what it was like, and eventually I wound up getting my pilot's license just because of the research for The Shimmer. Well, how about that? How about that? Now, with pilot's license and everything, that's neat. Now, reading the, uh, I, I love the movie first of all, but reading the book is just such an interesting, you know, the, obviously the original take on that story, and looking at that compared to how the Teasel, the main police chief played by Brian Dennehy in the film, yeah, you know, the movie just comes off almost as Smokey and the Bandit as times, you know, not that goofy all the time, but just compared with the, to the novel, compared to the novel, yes, sir, yeah. Yeah, well, I laugh. I laugh at a lot of the booby traps getting sprung on the policemen. A lot of it's due to their stupidity. In the movie, the cops themselves are pretty stupid. Well, one of the one of the jokes. First of all, but, but before we get into this, I have to say that I thought the movie was well done. Uh, Stephen King once said to me that he thought that I got treated about as well as Hollywood could treat a writer because he could actually recognize my story. <laughs> and, and that doesn't happen a lot. And, and what what went on with the with the piece was that I had written a novel that was published in 1972, First Blood, which was a reaction to the severe polarization that had occurred in the United States because of the Vietnam War. And uh, anybody who lived at that time will remember that many of us thought we were actually going to have a civil war. I mean, there was shooting on the streets uh, at Kent State in Ohio. Um, uh, protesting students were shot to death by National Guardsmen. And uh, it was just a very, very scary time. Uh, and what I wanted to do in the novel was have Rambo and the police chief, Teasel, um, given equal weight because you can't have a major crisis in, without having two sides of the story, and it would have been very easy just to have, you know, one side of it, and basically then you'd have a cartoon. Um, but I wanted to have give equal weight to both sides, and in fact, the novel is structured that way. It starts with Rambo, and then there's a chapter devoted to Teasel looking at Rambo, and then there's a chapter devoted to Rambo looking at Teasel, and the entire book rotates that way in a kind of A-B-A-B structure so that when we're in Rambo's point of view, we say, yeah, I get it, he's the hero. And then when we go into the police chief's point of view, we say, oh, no, no, wait a minute, he's, he might be the hero. 
And in fact, in reviews in 1972, uh, many critics uh, actually tipped their hand and thought that the police chief was the hero. Uh, and one reason for this is that he is characterized big time in the novel. We learned that he himself was a medal winner, not a medal of honor recipient, but he had received the Distinguished Service Cross and that he was a war hero in the Korean War. And that basically what we have here is the difference between a conventional war as fought in Korea and a guerrilla war as fought in Vietnam. And people oh. thinking that he had been, you know, through the worst that he could imagine at the Chosen Reservoir Retreat, which is the big, big action in Korea. And he figured, you know, he could handle anything, but he didn't understand that a new kind of training and a new kind of war had evolved. And so the, the pivot in the, in, the, in the novel came when Rambo all but kills Teasel and Teasel escapes. And there's this line that I just love where uh, Teasel is thinking, all right, all right, I get it. The kid's a better fighter than I am, but I'm a better organizer. Uh, and he, that's when he sends for the character played in the movie by uh, the wonderful Richard Crenna, um, uh, Colonel Troutman, who trained uh, Rambo and, you know, the equalizer, so to speak. And, and anyhow, when you get into the movie, there were 26 drafts of the screenplay, uh, five studios. It, it, it Richard Brooks had done a draft when he was going to direct for Columbia, and then Martin Ritt was going to direct with Paul Newman, uh, for Warner Brothers, but Newman was going to play the police officer. And then Sidney Pollack was going to direct uh, Steve McQueen, and McQueen was going to play Rambo and the motorcycle and all that. But um, McQueen, they finally realized, was 45 years old. And in 1975, when they planned this, there were no 45-year-old Vietnam veterans. So that went the, uh, away. And anyhow, they did draft after draft after draft. And in... Finally, in 82, the, the, the picture was released. And the, the, in the process, somewhere along the line, the character of the police chief got minimized. And then for reasons to do with um, budget, the, the film setting was moved from Kentucky. Uh, there's a wonderful area in Kentucky that's sometimes called the Grand Canyon of the East. And that's where First Blood, the novel, is set. Um, but Canada at that time was giving a very big-time tax breaks to companies that would film in Canada, and there was a very favorable ratio of the dollar, American dollar to the Canadian dollar. So First Blood was filmed outside Vancouver, British Columbia. And uh, anyhow, as you know, all this went on, the picture minimized the sheriff until Brian Dennehy, who didn't really have a lot to do, except be there and, you know, sort of, you know, yell things at Rambo. Um, I think Brian did a great job of, you know, with nothing on the page. He, he really managed to find something to do with it. But I do remember a reviewer when the film came out in 1982 saying that it did look a lot like a southern redneck sheriff on sabbatical in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> and... Um, so, you know, that if there's a weakness in the movie, and I think there are many, many strengths, uh, 
Uh, Sly, I think, is wonderful in the role. His, uh, Richard Crenna once told me that he felt that um, the only two actors he'd worked with in his long career who knew what to do in front of a camera in the sense of inventing bits of business with props and things uh, were Steve McQueen and uh, Sylvester Stallone. And wow. Sly does excellent work with his eyes. He, he, he does excellent work with props. Um, and, you know, I, uh, he's a strength. Uh, uh, Ted Kotcheff's direction is a strength. The location filming, Andrew Laszlo's photography, Jer certainly Jerry Goldsmith's music. This is a really good film, which gets better, actually, with each year now that we're, because it doesn't have any computer-generated effect. Uh, but the weak spot is uh, the police. And, uh, you know, it, I think the story could have been better and stronger if he'd had a little more to do. Hey, it just makes me think, you know, a lot of times remake or reimagining can be kind of a dirty word, but I think if they either remade First Blood to be closer to the book and do it maybe like a miniseries or even as a movie again, focusing a bit more on Teasel, that could be something, a remake I think that could be justified. But well, it, you know, it, it, would, it, would you be cool if somebody, if like if, if, a, if a studio or somebody approached you and said, we want to make First Blood closer to the book, yeah. Would you allow it? Well, I don't have any control over the movie uh, anymore. Uh, when I, I sold the movie rights in 1972 to Columbia Pictures, and Columbia Pictures sold them to Warner Brothers, and Warner Brothers sold them to somebody else, and I think there have been about six or seven studios that have owned the property. And uh, anyway, I you know I was paid, and the movie rights are gone, so I have no control over that. Um, but understanding Hollywood as it currently exists, I would say that there is absolutely no chance that this picture would ever be remade. First of all, it would have to take place in uh, an era that is pretty close to the end of the Vietnam War. Um, otherwise, you've got a really, really old Rambo. And uh, so, you know, the picture would have to be set, let's say, 1975, 1980, somewhere in there. And uh, which means it's a period piece, which means now you got to, you know, you can't have satellite dishes on roofs. you got to have all the cars that were back then. you got to have the way people dressed back then. Terrifically expensive uh, kind of thing to do. And what's more, uh, you know, a lot of people even forget that Rambo was a Vietnam veteran. Uh, somebody once said to me, well, I don't understand why Sylvester Stallone is playing him. Why can't they get a younger guy? And I said, because he's a Vietnam veteran. And they looked at me like I was speaking gibberish. So I had to do a whole American history with them and saying the Vietnam War ended in 1975. And, you know, most of the people at that time, in fact, the novel was set in 1972, so we'll use that. We'll assume, because uh, Rambo would have been typical of service men at that time, he probably would have been coming back from the war 21 or 22 years old. So if we take 1972 and we'll, let's say, add 50 years, Rambo would be approximately 70 years old. Well, and do you... Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just uh, wondering, do you do you think that uh, the, the film, if it were to be remade, that it could be, that, that a character like Rambo could emerge from the war in Iraq or the war in Afghanistan? From where, please? You mean do it so he comes back from Iraq? Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 yeah, it could, except that there was a peculiar, again, you know, this is an issue about American history. The climate in the United States 
1970, 1971, you know, as I said, protesters were being shot to death. So that what you had back then was a situation where it was in fact believable that a that someone who came back from the war and said, you know what, I, I'm I hate what happened to me over there and I don't have to listen to what you tell me to do and who basically pushed back at authority and then had the authority push at him until finally you know, hundreds if not thousands of people were hunting him down. I do not believe that would be possible today. Um, I think there's a much more of a respect for our, our exactly. currency. Yeah. Exactly so. And more than that, and I, you know, I take some pride in this, uh, the novel having morphed into the movie uh, I think changed American cultures because uh, it, it is true what the, the speech that, uh, that Sylvester gives at the end of the movie in which he talks about being coming back and being called a baby killer and what have you. Um, this literally happened. The service people coming through airports back from Vietnam were spat upon, were insulted, were called baby killers and things of that nature. And after the movie came out, the nation had a kind of reexamination of itself and realized that, um, you know, we can blame politicians all we want uh, one way or another. You know, uh, every war has its pros and cons. But if you were, say, against Vietnam or against the Iraq war, uh, you can go ahead and blame the politicians all you want. But the armed forces have pledged themselves to be faithful to the United States as the will of the United States is interpreted by the politicians. So, you know, they, they, are, uh, they are blameless in that regard. And, and I, I, I know no, no cases where people came back from Iraq and that they, you know, people who didn't like the war said, you know, you're, you know, said whatever terrible things. It just didn't happen. The culture changed because of the movie. It's the idea of, of support the soldier, not the war. Yeah, or, yeah. exactly. I think also what's really interesting is when I think of that, I think of definitely Rambo, because I remember when I was a little kid seeing it and not even knowing really what Vietnam was, but yeah. seeing this man who had been tortured and has basically a flashback. But it's also very close to what I saw uh, later down the line, uh, the deer hunter, yeah. and how mm. the people come back so changed. Yeah, well, you, you get... Uh... The, the novel and then the movie changed things in that regard, too. In some regard, perhaps the, the deer hunter, I'm trying to remember when the deer hunter came out. I believe it's after First Blood. Um, and and uh, that, is the, that movie uh, represents a kind of further extension of what somebody coming back from the war, from Vietnam, uh, you know, they used to call, they were over there, they called it in-country, and that when they were leaving, they said they were going back to the world. Oh, and wow. So you, you had a kind of a sense of being on Mars uh, when you were over there. And, and uh, that otherworldliness and uh, the way, you know, character changed because of it, um, you know, the, the next step was in something like The Deer Hunter. And, I, you know, while we're talking about this in Vietnam, we, it wouldn't hurt to go back and talk about something else. The real uh, revenge, if 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 that's the right word, um, the Vietnamese, the North Vietnamese got even by, with us by introducing uh, much of the American armed forces to heavy drugs. Uh, heroin in particular was extremely easy to obtain in Vietnam. 
and many, many service people came back because they were so strung up. They hated the experience so much, and the environment was just so awful, you know, the heat and the humidity and the bugs and all the rest of it, that many of them came back drug addicts. And uh, that, that, in turn, uh, 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 caused um, uh, not a tolerance for, for drugs, but uh, certainly, uh, you know, the, 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 it changed. It spread, so to speak, uh, through the culture, and this is not something that's talked a lot about, but, but uh, one of the weapons that the North Vietnamese were using was to make, to have um, easy, cheap drugs available. Wow, because I guess at the time, I mean, it's, it's a, another form of, um, what's it called when they drop leaflets? Yeah, propaganda. Propaganda, propaganda yeah. I, but also, don't you think that a lot of them also brought home those dependencies to deal with what they had gone through in Vietnam? Um, I never, every, every, now you have to make a distinction between people who are over there in a service capacity, you know, supplying meals and what have you, and the, and the, and the people who were going out into the jungle and actually doing the fighting. I never met anybody who came back from the, the Vietnam War who had seen heavy fighting who was able to talk about it. Um, most of them had nightmares. Most of them had serious psychological repercussions. That, these are the people that I met, and I've met a lot of them over the years because of the Rambo connection. And I remember a woman coming to me after uh, the movie First Blood came out in 1982, thanking me for saving her marriage because she said when he'd come back, her husband had come back from the war, and he didn't talk, and he was sullen, and he was non-communicative, and it was clear that bad stuff was going on in his imagination, and that mm. he went to see the movie and went home that night and began sobbing, and then began talking to her about, and this is pretty rare, talking to her about his experiences over there, and she suddenly began to understand the degree of stress and horror, really, um, that, um, that these guys had gone through. And I mean, it's just such an—it's like being on a jungle version of Mars. And um, so, uh, I, I, the, the resilience—you know—if you, uh, I can compare it to the tremendous amount. Uh, it's not like thousands and thousands of American service uh, personnel are committing suicide after they come back from Iraq and Afghanistan, but a high percentage of them, nonetheless, are and the military is doing whatever it can in order to have psychological counseling for these folks. But unfortunately, um, the way the military works, you're not, you know, you're not supposed to show any weakness, so uh, they don't talk about it, and then things get worse. So it's, it, 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 they, it, resilience was not something a lot of veterans came back with. You know, that story reminds me of a, uh, a teacher I had in, you know, I went to high school like in the late 90s, so fairly recent, but I had a teacher that was a Vietnam veteran, and uh, like you said, he wouldn't talk about it. All he, could say, all he said is that he had a big drinking problem from Vietnam, and yeah. I'm not sure if that's something he ever overcame or not. But yeah. one day, we had these announcements we saw on the TV that the students filmed or whatever, and it yeah. played music from one of the newer Star Wars movies, some piece of uh, John Williams classical music. And for yeah. some reason, that made him snap. And he started looking all around and having cold sweats and scream, turn that yeah. off, turn that off. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. you know, I'm not, I don't know at all what that connection was, but it just was. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I can't say not having met him, but sure. um, 
it got to the point where if you met somebody who went on and on about what he'd done in Vietnam, you knew he was he was not telling the truth because mm. they did not talk about it. And those who did had to be lying. Uh, uh, unless, of course, it was in a circumstance comparable to what, you know, um, this uh, woman had told me about her marriage and about the husband finally breaking down and explaining what he'd gone through. Uh, so it, you know, the, the movie um, had a, an impact on the culture. Uh, and it's interesting to, com- <clears throat> excuse me, to compare uh, the, the novel uh, which is a fuller version of the story and has, uh, I, I sometimes say the novel is War as Hell and the movie is War as Heck. <laughs> and, and, because there's very little uh, violence in the, the movie. It appears to be a violent film, but actually, you know, a lot of damage gets done to private property and stuff like that. But there's not a lot of violence to human beings, even given the, you know, the traps that he sets in the forest and all that. Uh, nobody dies out there, and uh, whereas in the in the novel, it's as if he is in the war again, and he's not kidding around. Uh, so there's you know there's a, a big difference. And in fact, I did uh, uh, an introduction for the novel uh, to help you know put all of this in perspective, and uh, people who pick up the book <clears throat> would uh, I think find it informative. And in fact, I even have a bit of news because. Um, the ebook of um, First Blood finally is available. I'm in arrangement with Amazon uh, to do uh, 10 books, uh, 10 of my books, including a new one called The Naked Edge, uh, and including First Blood as uh, Kindle ebooks. And it's very, very interesting to me the way the book business is changing, and book and bookstores are there aren't as many as there used to be, and distribution isn't as good as it used to be and it's interesting to me that now anybody in the world you can be in australia in in um, india in uh in vietnam you can be in germany or france or south africa and you can you know go to the uh, amazon store and order uh, the ebook of first blood and obtain it within thir- within a minute uh, to me, this is just astonishing that the book is now available on this worldwide uh, capacity. Yeah, I think that's great. You know, I happen to find a, a print copy of First Blood. I, I live in Portland, Oregon, so we have a big bookstore up here called Palos. I Palo's. love the town. I love the town. Oh, thank you. But we have this big bookstore called Palos. It's like five stories big. And Oh, yes, I know Palos, yeah. Tons of big tons of books, so I was lucky to what run it. What did you get, the, the, the paperback? Is that the... I got the paperback, and it's the reprint you're talking about that has your introduction. Yeah. I guess it originated as a Playboy magazine, or part of it was in Playboy? Uh, it did, uh, it, it, and then I expanded it. Uh, Playboy, when Rambo 3 was filmed, I went over to Israel where it was filmed. Uh, Playboy uh, was paying me, and I, you know, I did an essay for the news, or for the magazine, and um, it was quite actually quite interesting to go over there. Uh, this was before all the trouble started. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was interesting. And then, so I wrote a piece for Playboy and then, uh, I expanded it so that I could use it as the introduction, uh, to the novel. And then actually the introduction is also part of the ebook. Well, great. I'll have to look great. for that. Um, one last thing is in the book, I really appreciated how in the movie, the sequence where Rambo goes to the, the town and starts blowing things up, it, can yes. be a little bit random, but in the book it's explained a lot better, and it's a neat reversal of how in the woods Rambo feel, feels at home because that reminds me of Vietnam. 
but in the city, yeah. uh, Teasel feels at home because that's his town. He knows yeah. it like the back of his hand. Exactly. Yeah, that's very good. I'm glad you spotted that. Um, you know, there are lots of reversals, and uh, uh, the other, you know, the other thing that might that's fun to talk about is the uh, in the movie Rambo is in the mine and he comes up against some rats. And actually, these were white rats. These were lab rats that were dyed brown by Clairol. <laughs> Clairol oh. dye. And, you know, if you look closely, you can see they're just, you know, very, <clears throat> very docile rats. And, and they're, uh, you know, not dangerous at all. But in the book, and this is a good example of the difference between the book and the film, and again, I hasten to say I like the movie a lot. It's just that it's like apples and oranges. And anyhow, in the book, the, the, the rat cave is actually a bat cave, B-A-T, and bats, you know, the, the, the bat droppings, the guano from them can get to be several feet deep in a bat cave, and he has to crawl through this with all the beetles and insects that live in that uh, excrement. And uh, meanwhile, the bats are flying all around him, and many bats are rabid. And uh, it's one of the most intense scenes I've ever written and was a lot of fun to, uh, uh, to do. And then, you know, to go and see the movie where it was toned down considerably. But I'm, you know, I don't know how anybody would have been able to film what I described. Sure. Well, David, uh, thank you very much for your time. You can uh, check out David Morrell's website at davidmorrell.net. That's with two R's and two L's. He has uh, a lot of his books, including one of his latest, The Naked Edge, available for the uh, Kindle. Uh, I also want to thank you for um, The Chosen. I thought that was written very well. I really liked that series. Oh, thank you. Yes, I, I did a, a Captain America. Marvel had contacted me and said, we think that the creator of Rambo would be a good fit for doing a Captain America um, a miniseries, so to speak. And so I had written, I did a, it was six parts, as you know, and it was called The Chosen, Captain America, The Chosen. Uh, Mitch Breitweiser did the, uh, the uh, drawings, and I, I mean, what a talent he is, uh, just an extraordinary talent. And w the basic gist of it, the theme, was what did it feel like after because Captain America was, in, you know, was created, so to speak, uh, after Pearl Harbor, let's say 1942. And uh, here he has been for half a century uh, trying to defend the, the, uh, everyone. And what I wanted to do was, was investigate what it felt like to be named after the United States, to be a superhero, and all the burden, you know, the responsibility that that implied. Uh, and it was just a great project to work on. And in the book version, I, I have an uh, afterward explaining how it all came about and what I was trying to do. And in addition, uh, there is the script for the first issue. If anybody would like to see what a comic book script looks like, if you know if they ever want to try writing for comic books. So it was a, a project that I really, really enjoyed. So I'm so pleased that you mentioned it. I really, I, again, I think it was a very good soldier story. Well, you know, Captain America is uh, um, that, you know, again, just to repeat the idea of the, what that responsibility would feel like. And so I wanted to do more than, you know, than the gunfight. I, I wanted to also investigate what, um, you know, what the character was doing. Uh, you know, at bottom, all my pieces, although they have a tremendous amount of action, are really about, you know, the characters. 
So anyway, as I said, thank you for mentioning. All right. So thank you again. All right. Thank you again. Okay. Well, my to have you on. enjoy enjoy your conversation about the film, <laughs> and uh, you know, um, I did an audio commentary that's on the uh, Blu-ray for the for the. Uh, movie, so you might want to chat about that too. So anyway, good evening to you both, and uh, my my best wishes to Portland. It's a great town. Thank you. Good evening. We'll let you know okay. when the show goes up. All right. Okay. Good night. Take care, man. Bye. Take care. <laughs> That's really cool. That was very. This cool. to see. Like, I, I really am interested in. I guess the the changes from the novel. I'm gonna have to pick that up. Um, yeah, it's a bit, like he said, you can, you know, even though it's uh, available for Kindle, you might be able to read that stuff on the computer somehow. I'm not, I know there's an app to look at Kindle stuff on the iPod Touch, so whether there's stuff on that, stuff on the computer, I'm not sure, but um, you might be able to get that first blood reaping off of Amazon.com, or, but I mean, and anyway, the difference between the book people, and the movie people are very pick interesting. Up, touch a book. Flip its pages. You don't need the technology. Just after David Morrell was promoting his uh, stuff on Kindle. Uh, I, I, one thing I do want to point out, David Morrell did say thank you to both of you. So that means one of us doesn't exist. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think both is in the royal boat. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, no, I think that was great. I think, you know, a very, uh, very heavy discussion for the sequel cast, rightfully show, so uh, considering the subject matter. Yeah. A, a lot of interesting things touching on the films, his career, uh, Vietnam uh, in general. So with that, let's move on to First Blood, the film, which uh, I was looking uh, and... Uh, it, I mean, it, it like really, I was saying before, it's it's a soldier's story. It, it yeah. really... It, yeah. it, it's a tragic figure, a kind of tragic, I guess. First Blood, directed 1982 by Ted Kotcheff. He's also known for directing Weekend at Bernie's, uh, believe it or not. And... Uh, Stars Sylvester Stallone, uh, Richard Crenna, and Brian Dennehy. Uh, you might recognize Brian Dennehy from some of, some of the uh, Patton Oswalt stand-up routines. He likes to reference Brian Dennehy copiously. Uh, but yeah, it came out in 82, which was the year I was born. Um, and, you know, you think of Rambo, you think of Machine Guns, and with the shirt off, blowing shit up. And while he does blow up... Yeah, and while he does blow up stuff near the end of the movie... Um, this is really a much more thoughtful picture, I think, than perhaps some of the sequels. I'd say that's a fair statement. Yeah. Oh, yes. I'll do that. And, you know, the beginning, but, I mean, it's... The book, uh, as uh, David, the author of the original book, First Blood, Morel, we just had him on, said, is really quite a different animal. Apple and oranges, as he says, it's a lot of grays, not so black and white. But Rambo is, you know, even in the movie, even though he's sympathetic, he... He might not kill people. He does maim a lot of people, right? Yeah, but all those <laughs> people that he maims and stuff, they're all terrible, awful people. The sure, only I mean, the line, they drew the first redhead. blood, they drew first blood, not me. And that redhead is played by David Caruso. No, no, wait, Matt, uh, uh, Uncle Milkshake, you gotta say it right. They drew first blood, not me. I can't do Stallone, I'm sorry. can't do Stallone? They, they drew first, first blood. blood, not me! I can't even get a job parking cars! No, we'll save that for later. But um, well, you know, and you, you had to know. That, you had to know this podcast would degenerate into Sylvester Stallone impersonations. I, it, I think that's, I, that that should yeah, hopefully. It, yeah, it's difficult to talk about Stallone without trying to do an imitation, and it has to do with, you know, when he was born, it had something to do with the way he was. I'm not going to get into that story, but it's it's a it's a defect <laughs> he was born with. 
right? A speech <laughs> impediment. It's a speech impediment he was born with that he's gotten better. He's actually, if you listen to his commentary on this uh, First Blood Blu-ray, he's quite intelligent, uh, you know, opposite of characters he plays, and a lot of people cannot separate the man from the, the characters he plays. So I do not mean uh, disrespect to good old Slice hey, alone. He was good. he was good in the uh, his newest movie. Spy Kids 3D? Oh, no, Expendables? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Sorry, I have not seen Expendables yet. I've meant to. But, uh, but yeah. No, but, I mean, I think in the audio commentary, Sylvester Stallone says he thinks First Blood is bar none the best action film he's ever been involved with. Mm. And I can see what he's talking about. But uh, First Blood, everyone can sympathize with Rambos because everyone has been pulled over by the police for a reason they don't understand. Mm. They had an encounter with the cop where they don't understand why. And he gets to fuck the police up, really, and, and you know, from a certain point of view, if you want to view the picture that way. Well, because really, when you are mildly inconvenienced by an authority figure, you should murder them. <laughs> no, 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 no. But, it has to do know, with like, the idea of the cops thinking that they have this power, especially yeah, the one who beats yeah. him. It's about them being the authority, being the, uh, oh, God, what's, uh, uh, totalitarian. Yeah. Thinking they're above the law themselves because they are the law. Or as Stone would say, because I am the law. No, that's my point. Okay, I see. Uh, it was just, just to justify the Judge Dredd quote. No, but that is no, but that is the point. They think that they're above the law, except for the redhead who's played by the guy, uh, Russo. Caruso, from, David Caruso. Yeah, and then he puts on his sunglasses and he says something awful, and then you hear, yeah! Yeah, I don't recall what show that's from. That shows you yes, make it. Don't think about that show for even a second. Just go ahead. But it's, First Blood, okay, TV, so... TV producers win. So in, in, the, in the book, First Blood, Rambo has some dialogue, not a lot. Apparently in the screenplay they were going to do the movie off of, Rambo had a lot of dialogue, and Stallone was involved in revising the screenplay, and he cut out most of Rambo's dialogue and gave most of that exposition to uh, the police chief, Teasel, played by Brian Dennehy, and uh, Colonel Troutman, played does, by her- Richard Crenna. Yeah, and I think... Um, yeah. Them together, Troutman and Teasel, like, when they're talking to each other, like, you get, you don't stand a chance. This guy is, like, he is amazing. He can survive in the wilderness. He's got all this training. You're fucked. Yep, yep. And did you know who was originally supposed to play Colonel Troutman? Uh, who? Kirk Douglas. Hmm. They had him signed up. They had the uniform fit for him, and Kirk Douglas ran on the, the scene, the set, and he rewrote the script to make him the hero. <laughs> and, it ended, it, and it ended with Rambo tied up to a radiator. That's Bullshit. What, that's what Stallone says in the commentary. Uh, I know, in any rate, Kirk Douglas was fired for whatever reason, creative differences. At the last second, they had to hire Richard Crenna, who was playing, uh, who had a, doing a play on Broadway, and they had him fly up, and he barely had a chance to look up the script and had to run and do this part. And Crenna does such a great job as Troutman, being just the stoic military figure. The way he delivers his lines reminds me a bit of William Shatner. There's a lot of weird pauses in there, but like I don't, you're trying to do a military man who's not supposed to panic, but he's in a very difficult situation. One of his former students gone nuts. You know, what are you going to do? It's a weird situation for a character to be in. It's, it's, well, it's, a, it's a whole Obi-Wan Anakin thing. No, yeah. no, because they did that movie. They did that movie with uh, Benicio Del Toro and Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, the... In the woods, right? And that's an yeah, that was awful. That was such a stupid ripoff. Except with that, it has Tom Lee Jones being more proactive and actually hunting his past student. But that has a bunch of people getting hurt and in oh. traps and shot. It's kind of like it sounds first. like first blood, kind of yeah. But it's awful. Okay, 
Whereas First Blood's really good. I, I do have a story about that movie. I don't recall the title, but that was filmed around here where I live in Portland, Oregon. And uh, Benicio del Toro went into like a, a mountain man shop, a wilderness shop, and bought himself a like three hundred dollar leather jacket. And he's looking around at the jackets, and to me, Benicio del Toro looks a bit kind of scary looking. It looks a bit shifty. And the manager is about to call the cops on him when he pulled out his like black American Express card and said, "No, no, no, I'm Benicio del Toro. We're filming a movie here." <laughs> I'm just, I just want to buy this jacket because he thought it was a homeless, crazy guy wandering in the store. <laughs> oh, which Benicio del Toro is. <laughs> but back to First Blood. Yeah, How about I, the Mountain Town? Yeah. Where's they this? Vancouver? Yeah, Canada. Yep. Again, so much cheaper to actually film up there. And then they had all the, oh, man, all the army trucks and stuff at the one point where they call in basically the National Guard because this little police department isn't fit to... They, the guy with the helicopter, and then they're just, they're inept. Oh, I think the guy with the helicopter, I think that's a great scene. you got a wonderful shot where Rambo's back is up against a tree, and the camera kind of hovers to the left and to the right, and you sort of see the helicopter kind of trying to take a shot at him. Trying to get a bead. And like, But to give you an example, between the book and the movie, in the movie, what does Rambo do to the helicopter? He throws a rock at it. <laughs> right? Okay, in the book, Rambo has a... Uh, a rifle that he gets earlier on, and he's propped up against a tree, almost about to fall off the edge of the tree. The branches are creaking with his weight, and Rambo pulls out a shotgun and shoots the pilot in the head, and his head explodes. The pilot's head explodes, and the helicopter goes. The helicopter doesn't explode. The guy's head, you know, explodes. He gets a headshot. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, so he shoots him through the he shoots him through the, the windshield of the of the helicopter. He shoots the pilot. Yes. Or maybe he shoots the guy next to him, then he shoots the pilot. There's a scene of, like, the guy next to him is looking over and going, what the hell? And he gets shot as well. I mean, it's a very, uh... The movie First Blood is dark. The book is far darker as far as, uh, you know, the actual deaths as opposed to the well, multiple maiming. Well, the book itself isn't, isn't, like... Is the book more a suspense thriller or more of an action... It's, it's got, you know, it's got, suspense is a good word, it's got a lot of action, it spends a lot of time with Teasel about his home life, he just got, he found out his wife just moved to California and divorced him, oh. and he lives in Kentucky, he's having a uh, a really tough time, a lot of his close officers, he makes the decision to chase Rambo into the woods instead of waiting for the National Guard, but all his close buddies get killed, you know, all his fellow men get killed, and he, that See, increases so his rage. That he's stuck in, he doesn't have a clear enough head. Oh man! That, see, I like the way that he was uh, that um, Morel was talking about the movie, uh, about the book difference because I sympathize more now with with Teasel. Uh huh. Yeah. To, like he blew my mind when he said that Teasel was in the Korean War. Yep. That like you don't know anything about the character in the movie. You learn nothing except he's a prick. To a guy <laughs> just wearing an army jacket. But Brian Dennehy does a great yeah, job. I think yeah, he's so like that, and Dennehy is so massive and fat. He seems like almost like a stature where he can take on Stallone. He can like sit on top of him or something. Look, <laughs> Brian Dennehy <laughs> actually was a stout, like big, thick guy. Uh-huh. He could. Okay, he punched. No way. I'm not going to go into that story. Well, I'm just saying you're you're describing. Uh, Dennehy wrestling Stallone fan fiction. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh-huh. Dennehy Stallone and Spock ran into a bar, and no, 
No, but seriously, Brian Dennehy, he's not, he's a big guy. He can handle himself. Maybe not against the muscular Stallone. But, but he's, he's an actor with a big theatrical background, too. He has a lot of stage background. A lot of people... That, that's the salesman. He was yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't realize that. Um, so I think he's he's good, but like uh, Morell said, he, David said, he's not given a lot to, to, to work with. He does the best with what he has. Troutman, you know, in the movie and the book is about the same, but a different... I, I'll save that for when you get to the ending of this, right? Cause there's we'll some, talk about it now. Let's talk about the ending. Okay, so, I mean, the basic plot of the movie is... Rambo is this Vietnam vet. He wants to go into town, get a cheeseburger from a diner, and he's told, "Oh, you, you, restaurant." Yeah, and he's told, "Oh, you're you're dirty. You're a hippie. You don't want to be. You don't want to mess up this town. Just stay out." And he turns back. He says, "F you." He's he doesn't not a say hippie. it. He's well, a vagrant. He's a vagrant. Sure, sure. But he goes back into town. He says, "Like f you." He doesn't say, but with his eyes, he says, "F you." I'm gonna go and have my damn cheeseburger. And uh, Teasel, the sheriff picks him up, they treat him awfully in jail. He has a Vietnam flashback when they're shaving his beard and hair off, and he goes into a frenzy, runs into the woods. The police go after, the local police headed by Teasel go after him, the National Guard go after him. Later they try to, con- they find information about his background, that he was a, a Green Beret in Vietnam, I believe, and um, they get his mentor, the man that trained him, Colonel Troutman, to fly in and try and defuse the situation. There was a showdown in the city, and uh, he kind of, Stallone emotionally breaks down after physically breaking down, kind of knocking out a weapon store and gas station, all these things. And being holed up in the police station. Hold up in the police station. He injures Teasel. Troutman ma- manages to talk Stallone down into handcuffs and walks him out, even though it just was nighttime, into broad sort of daylight to go yeah. off on the jail. Right? I mean, that's the basic plot. It's not, you know, the, the overall story isn't the most complicated thing, but it's the things within it, particularly in the novel. So the end of the movie is that Rambo survives. The original ending filmed for the movie. Do you know about that? No, what, what was supposed to happen? Rambo uh, shoots himself. No, oh, he yeah, doesn't. Yeah, he kills himself. You can look, if you look on YouTube, you can see that deleted scene. I think it might only be in black and white or something. No, just shoots himself underneath the chin or what? Yeah, he grabs a gun and just shoots himself, and he he's so worked up with his monologue about how poorly Vietnam vets are treated, and he, he just can't handle a normal life in America, and he kills himself. And when they show that to test audiences, the test audiences were so offended that they had to reshoot an ending in which he lived. Uh, but in the book, um, the Sheriff Teasel is badly, badly injured, and he's kind of dying too, so he's kind of... Since he knows the city, he gives Troutman and the National Guard tips on where to find Rambo. And he's crawling to try and see Rambo to try and take him out before he dies. But Troutman just runs up to Rambo and blows his head off with a shotgun because he's become dangerous having killed like 36 people in the novel or, or so. You gotta, put, you gotta put a rabbit dog down. Exactly, sure. And Troutman goes back to Teasel and Teasel says, what happens? He's like, oh, what was that noise I heard? He's like, oh, we shot, you know, I blew the top off Rambo's head. And he goes, well, and I'm not quoting, this is paraphrasing. He goes, well, how did you feel about it? And he's like, well, it's it good to see Rambo not in pain anymore. And then Teasel immediately dies, and that's the end of the book. Again, that's a very dark, depressing ending. Man. Uh, Thrasher, do you have anything to say? You've been quiet. Well, you know, I, I just, I, I, that, having Rambo kill himself at the end would definitely be a, a powerful ending. And, and yet there, there's a cynical part of me that can't help thinking that... 
they the studio just wanted it out for a sequel on the off chance that because this be, Rambo became a franchise. Which uh, we're talking about it. And and oh, of course, and and I certainly don't think that that franchise was premeditated, but. Again, the cynical part of me always assumes, oh, well, if the main character lives when originally they were going to die, clearly someone's trying to lay some pipe for a sequel. Well, again, we get to talk about the sequels, thankfully, because this is sequel cast. Sure, in the future oh, yeah. episodes we'll it's talk interesting about interesting because see how, how far of a stretch was it? How long before uh, Rambo, the movie? In first, first Blood Part, part 2. Yeah, Ram- first Blood Rambo, yeah. First Blood Part 2, yeah. Uh, or was it First Blood Part 2, Rambo? Regardless, that'll be the next episode of sequel cast. <laughs> But, um, yeah, no, First Blood, one thing we haven't really mentioned is uh, the music by Jerry Goldsmith. He has a very strong musical theme for Rambo with the the trumpets that in the end credits, you hear a version of that theme with lyrics. Uh, What? uh, Let me play some. Hold on a second. Let me pull that up. I'm going to play that live in the sequel cast. So the Jerry Goldsmith, he did music for some of the Planet of the Apes films that we covered earlier. A talented, talented man. Yeah. My guy. I'm going to read some of the lyrics out loud. Oh, and, God. Uh, okay? Now, I'm talking about what him? it means. You're not going to sing them? Okay, so I'm, I'm going to sing some of this, right? It's a long road when you're on your own. And it hurts when they tear your dreams apart. And what? every new town just seems to bring you down. Trying to find peace of mind can break your heart. It's a real war right outside your front door, I tell ya. Out where they'll kill ya, you could use a friend. I'm not wow, making that up. song to a really bad comedy. Isn't it weird, though? I mean, like, like Joe. It, it's trying to be sentimental, and it has a downbeat... I mean, I was certainly off-key in that example, but it has a very downbeat... Uh, but I tell you, the war's outside by your front... God, that... Awful. I've never heard these lyrics. Or at least Goldsmith? That's why Goldsmith isn't a lyricist. He didn't write the lyrics, uh, but... Oh, um, there you go. <laughs> it's based off his music, yeah. It's like, uh... What was the South Park joke about Elton John? He did a song like, Oh, you're my cheddar cheese girl, you look real... You smell real fine and you go good with wine. Yes. Uh, oh, yo, my cheddar cheese go. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, sure. So, back to First Blood. Um, there's a lot we haven't covered about the film, and we just talked about the ending. So, in true sequel cast fashion, what are some highlights randomly from the film you want to touch on that we haven't discussed? Well, you know, th- th- and this just goes back to my love of, of older films, and, uh, and, and that... Excuse me. Just I love that. Uh, I I love that these special effects are all practical. Sure. There's, there's no over the top. There's no over the top choreography. There's no real over the top pyrotechnics. All the special effects, and as a result, all the violence is messy and dirty. And I really respect that. Yeah, you don't have a, a CGI animated angel and devil Rambo in Rambo's shoulder when he goes into town. Rambo, blow up the gas station. No, you no, shouldn't do that, Rambo. The gas station. God, that's awful. But <laughs> yeah, we, we shouldn't. That we know it. We need to I cut should, that sketch from our that, improv. I need show. to cut that for David Morrell's sake. I'm not going to leave that in. But you won't. Yeah. Hey. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But yeah, you know what I mean. I mean, yeah, the practical effects. That's those are real car crashes. Those are real cars being flipped. 
Stallone did many of his own stunts in the film, falling down a big tree, hitting the ground. Uh. You know, there's a great extended shot where you see the police, they're down by the, the river where the helicopter, you know, crashed down, looking for him. And they just move out of frame, move out of the way, and Rambo rises from the freezing cold water. And he's laying in a way where you don't see him until he gets up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's an effective sequence that they do in the later films with him going out of the mud and stuff. Um, I mean, that has kind of become, I mean, it became, I don't want to say cliche, but again, if we talk about Hot Shots Part Dukes, if we ever carry those movies, a lot of the stuff they took from that, they took from, uh, I guess, more First Blood 2. A lot of Rambo 3 as well, yeah. But a lot of the things that came from uh, the character of Rambo follow through from even this first movie. Well, that's one of the, the strange things about Rambo, just speaking to, to my experience. I have been exposed to more Rambo through parody than I have through, through the novel or any of the movies. Whether, you know, the Rambo sequence in Weird Al Yankovic's UHF, uh, yeah, the second Hot Shots movie, uh, the numerous parodies in Mad Magazine. Oh, the, the uh, cartoon Rambo No Blood? It's not called No Blood. No, no, th- I'm not talking about the anime. There was an animated, uh, amazingly enough, there's an animated television series based on Rambo. Uh, but what I'm actually talking about, uh, on Channel101.com, if you look through their canceled shows, there's a two-episode show called Rambo No Blood. The premise of the show is that Rambo has killed the entire population of the Earth so now there's no more wars to fight. He can just now live a nice, peaceful life. But then it turns out that the salmon and the bears are at war, so he's pulled back in to help the salmon win the war. And, of course, who's his commanding officer? Troutman. <laughs> That's an online, uh, an online show? Yes, Channel it's 101. channel101.com. Trout, Jesus, that sounds pretty funny. Uh, there's yes, also, and it's a, a trout in a suit. Speaking of online Rambo tributes, uh, I don't recall who did this. Uh, Someone recently made an online comic called Rambo 3.5. And the way Rambo 3 ends and the fourth Rambo film, uh, confusingly just called Rambo, begins, there's a big gap. And so you think, oh, maybe this sort of fan fiction comic will fill in the gaps. Instead, it's a weird political satire of um, right after 9-11, George W. Bush calling Sylvester Stallone the the actor and demanding he come because he thinks he's Rambo help sort the uh the situation out it's it has some funny jokes but fairly tasteless humor but i mean it's it's a weird read it, it's a mix i don't think that quite works but but again that's think, been making I, around I, online one of the things i think that's so good about this movie versus the others is again it shows a it's more thoughtful you have to think about the character you think about why he's doing this, his motivations, the damage that's been done to him by what he's been involved in. Even in this, not even counting the, the I guess, the book, but not discounting either, the characterization, the, the actual character, his drive, what drives him, is so different in this movie than any of the other movies. I would say, and just to table the sequel stuff for a later show, but I feel First Blood Part 2 is a more natural extension for a sequel than perhaps some of the other ones, not just because of their quality. Or, well, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. We get to those. Well, we'll we have to it. touch on that. We sure, have to. Sure. Touch on and, and you mentioned, you know, politics and Rambo and politics go hand in hand, even if that was not necessarily meant to be the case. But this one seems sort of 
maybe because of our age, but it seems sort of free of politics as much as the later films are. I don't know. It's really weird. I mean, it's to think of what this was like at the time, that's a difficult mindset for me to get in. And again, watching Ram, you know, First Blood after seeing Rambo parodies, you might be kind of shocked to see, you know, kind of a uh, a touching intro where the character of Rambo comes and he's trying to visit one of his uh, Vietnam friend, or fellow soldiers, a fellow Vietnam veteran from the war. And again, that find that he's on... died from Agent Orange. Yeah. That what? touches on the other things that would... Not only were you shot, you could lose a limb to landmines or just regular battle damage, but there was also the stuff that we were using on our own people. Yes. The stuff that we were just using on the, on the a battlefield that we didn't know the effects of. And those people just... <sighs> and I mean, the point that uh, David Morrell, author of the original novel First Blood, made earlier about the... Uh, the heroin thing. I, I never thought of it from that perspective, but it's a pretty interesting point. You did hear a lot of stories of veterans coming back just devastated by an addiction to heroin or alcohol or what have you. Cricket, cricket, okay? No, seriously, no, that's a doubt. That's, it, it makes you think about the... The human cost? Yeah. Sure. Yes. And this movie definitely shows you the human cost. I mean, I, in the book, how many people get killed? Let me look in Wikipedia if I can find the exact number. It's it's well over two dozen. Um, and in the movie, only like one dies, right? Yeah, technically in the movie, the only one that dies is uh, just a sniper. The helicopter tries to get out of the way, and the guy falls out the copter. Yeah. And but so give you an example of like a, another big difference from the book and the movie is recall in the movie uh, they're they're chasing Rambo and they get this old man to help him that has a bunch of dogs, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, so his name is Orville, and his name is Orville in the book. And in the book, Orville was a father figure to the police chief, Teasel. And they had, a, they had to part ways, but, you know, it's an awkward reunion of old friends that kind of got into an argument that blew out of proportion, to say the least. So you have a father-son relationship between Orville and the Teasel, and there's a lot more scenes between those two. But in oh. the movie, for time constraints or, or what have you, you know, he's just like, oh, he shot one of my dogs, damn that Rambo. Yeah, that, yeah, that, like, wow, okay, there's so much more about that character that I didn't know. I mean, you know, the overall story is the same, but it's it's like apples and oranges, and I, I think a remake could, I think a remake could be interesting. I don't, you know, whether it will happen seems kind of doubtful, but with the latest on the Rambo movies, which will be out of date by the time this podcast comes out, um, yeah, Stallone, but here's a question. Who do you get to play Rambo now? Well, that's the thing. Stallone was really thinking seriously about doing a Rambo 5 in which, and I'm not making this up, Rambo would be in the Antarctic fighting against a genetically engineered creature. Wait, wait, wait. No, what? Yep. Well, fighting against a genetically engineered creature. So it would be man's strongest thing versus science's strongest take on man fighting in the tundra. But he already did that against the Russian. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. And, and but but so now it's a monster. Fan, well, fan out, well, exactly, and fan out cries a lot, so they went towards I a, will break you. They went towards a, they were going to do a Rambo 4, or a 5, sorry, that was going to be based on the script that was originally supposed to be Rambo 4, where Rambo goes to Mexico, finds out he has a daughter that's been kidnapped, and uh, Teasel, uh, Brian Dennehy, makes some sort of a comeback. Uh, but at the end of the day, Rambo, uh, Stallone decided, see, I'm messing it up myself, sad to say, uh, Stallone decided to table that, yet he doesn't have the rights to the Rambo movies. They're, uh, I forget who owns them now, it might be New Image. 
And so they've been advertising a Rambo 5, so they might just make another Rambo without Stallone. And Stallone has expressed interest in doing a Rambo prequel of Rambo in Vietnam as a Vietnam soldier and how that changed him with huh. a different actor as uh, Rambo. But again, you know, that's all very up in the air. So who knows? Those are several different takes they were going to do on a new Rambo film. Yeah, that is... I don't know. I, I guess that that I, I'm not all that shocked by the notion of Rambo fighting a genetically engineered monster, if only because uh, so many film franchises just end up going in a completely ridiculous direction in order to keep upping the stakes as each sequel progresses. I mean, is it any more or less crazy than the proposed Smoking the Bandit in Outer Space film? Yeah, no, I don't think so. I mean, no, because that doesn't it just become. If you put Rambo against something that's either extraterrestrial or mutant or genetic science thing, whatever, and then it's just Predator. Yeah. So um, it's the same thing. It's the killers and the, it's the soldier in the forest versus something tougher than him. Uh, well, you know what I just thought though. If, if it's going to be in the Antarctic, Rambo at the Mountains of Madness. Uh, so let's go back to First Blood and try and wrap that up. Um, you know what, we talked about the original ending with Rambo killing himself with Troutman's, Colonel Troutman's gun nonetheless. There's another deleted scene that's on the recent uh, Blu-ray, uh, maybe the recent DVD, I'm not sure. Um, so there's a big sequence in the film where Rambo is in a cave, and he's kind of attacked by rats, right? Yeah. And he has a nap. There's originally, he falls asleep, he's kind of exhausted. While he's being attacked by not, rats? Not, okay, maybe not while he's being attacked by rats, but when he gets himself settled in a safe place of the cave, relatively okay. safe place of the cave. He starts to uh, fall asleep, and he drifts off into a, a flashback of Rambo at a Vietnamese strip club with his friends during the war. Huh. And huh. the deleted scene is quite... I can Maybe they're trying to lighten the mood or show... That Rambo isn't all that tortured of a person. He he went to titty bars too, you know. Uh, but it would not have fit in the film, and I'm glad you know it's not in there. I think it's it was supposed to illustrate the idea that Rambo kind of loses his humanity more and more as the film goes on, which you see literally as he blows up gas stations. What do you think about the part in the film when he's outside of the woods in the uh, city? I guess well, I I, I guess in in my mind, I mean I I know it's an act again it's an it's you have to keep raising the stakes, but it almost seems like overkill to have him blow up a gas station and then create a wall of fire to block a road. Yeah, it just strikes me as especially... I can see him going into the weapon store, getting weapons, getting explosives. That makes sense. And, you know, maybe he's... It's supposed to be he's literally having revenge against the town that threw him in jail for having long hair and a beard and a bit of an attitude. The town treated him badly. He's going to treat the town badly. Well, the town that's... didn't. It's the police. Sure, yeah. But again, it's something that, as as Morel was saying, it's something that Teasel holds dear. So that may have actually translated to the the book. I mean, he he tries not to hurt anybody. They even put on the sirens to get people out of there. Right. But when he sirens to go to ground. I don't know. Like, in the book, there's a big sequence that uh, the Sheriff Teasel, uh, played in the movie by Brian Dennehy, you know, knows the town like the back of his hand, and he knows because Rambo is more comfortable in the woods that Rambo would gravitate towards trying to hide in people's backyards where there's a brush 
like grass and bushes and things. So with that, they're able to uh, to track him down in the book, and that that's quite a bit different. So anyway, I highly recommend the book First Blood if you can track it down. Another bit of trivia relating to the books, and these are a, a bit harder to find. So the sequels to this, uh, Rambo First Blood Part Two and uh, Rambo Three, had novelizations written for them by David Morrell. Yeah, the writer of uh, First Blood, the novel in which the whole Ram, uh, this first movie, Ram, uh, First Blood, was based on, wrote the novels to the first two sequels to Rambo, because he wanted to give a bit more characterization than what was uh, in the films. That's pretty unusual. Yeah, actually, I wanted to ask him about that. What, 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 as as a writer, what is the experience of writing a novel, which you <laughs> see turned into a movie? then sequels made of that movie, and then you turning those sequels into novels. It just seems like a, like a weird snake-eating-its-own-tail situation. Sure, he talks about that a bit on his website, and he did not write the novelization of the fourth Rambo movie, which is called Rambo. But he does have some interesting thoughts in the film on the website. Um, I think we've talked a lot about First Blood. Any, uh, any Ooh, actually, thoughts on it? Actually, we should give his website. Did you give out the address? I did, but I'll give it again. You can, uh, If you want to check out... David Morrell's website. David Morrell, of course, is the man who wrote First Blood, uh, the uh, novel in which the movie First Blood and the whole Rambo franchise spawned off of. And he's written a lot of other books as well as a uh, recent one called The Naked Edge, available exclusively for the uh, Amazon.com's Kindle device. It's at davidmorell.net. That's D-A-V-I-D-M-O-R-R-E-L-L dot net and he has listings on when he's going to do book signings and where they're going to be at and that sort of thing so it's all very cool and uh thanks again to david for uh your time and coming on the cast and any last thing you wanted to bring up thrasher or jersey jason that we haven't discussed (laughs) i think we've covered this pretty well well you know i actually i watched the original trailer uh for rambo in preparation for this and it was uh i was able to track it down and the trailer like it it just really has a real classic grindhouse feel and gives you a real sense of what the movie's about without giving the whole movie away, which is something that you rarely see in trailers these days. Yeah. And it was uh, the print was all gritty and scratched up, and I can just imagine the impact it would have had to have seen that trailer in the theaters. A man in the woods wants to fuck up the police. First blood. No. Thankfully, no, that that wasn't like that. I think it was just like, like his name is John Rambo. John J. Rambo. Yeah, John J. Rambo. <laughs> In the book, he does not have a first name. Um, Why'd they make it John, then? The theory Morell says in his uh, revised introduction to First Blood is it brings memories of the song when Johnny comes marching home. Oh. No, which oh. makes sense, actually. Uh does. That's a fair explanation. But somehow no, John... But- why Rambo? Is Rambo an Italian name? Uh, no, but the reason for Rambo, uh, there's a few different reasons for it. One is that uh, David Morrell was a uh, college professor of uh, English, uh, literature at that, or of literature at that time, and he, uh, there is a, I'm going to get this wrong, there's a French author called Rambo, where it's spelled R-A-M-B-E-A-U-X. Yeah. Rambo. Right. And he liked the way that name sounded, and he was also at the grocery store, and there's a, a type of apple called Rambo apples, spelled R-A-M-B-O. And he thought, that's a delicious apple, number one. Number two, Rambo. That's a strong-sounding name. That's a very masculine, to-the-point-sounding name. It is, but I think I think we're spoiled on 
on knowing that Rambo is a masculine name. I wonder how people, when they first heard Rambo, before anybody knew what the character was, when they heard Rambo. I'd be very interested to know that. Yeah, I think if it would have been about a Vietnam vet called Twiddly Bits, it <laughs> wouldn't have. Oh, or John Smith. Or yeah, anything. yeah, right. Indiana Jones. Uh... Ed Gruberman. Hervé Villachez. You know, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Yeah, that is an interesting thing because it, it it sounds like an action movie hero name to us, but only because we've grown up with with Rambo, the name Rambo attached to an action movie hero. You know, it's not it's it certainly isn't like the stereotypical Jack Stryker, Lance yeah, Hardass, you know, type you know action movie name. I think also uh, if I will get a bit deep about it for a minute, the name Rambo ethnically you can't quite tell what it's from. Could it be Italian? Could it be uh, Spanish? Could it be, I don't know, African, right? So maybe people can read into that and think, oh, he could be from different cultures just from this one last name. Hmm. Maybe not. Maybe that's a stretch. No, no, I could, I could see that. I, I, I do see the power of having a name that you can't, you know, pin, pin down uh, ethnically. It, it, it makes him, you know, it makes him, you know, in a way it makes him even like a, a, real, a real everyman. Yep. Yeah, but I don't know anybody with that last name. Do you think people have named their kids Rambo? Well, someone must have. Yes, had to, even if it's, it's probably a middle name to a bunch of kids, but there's sure. got to be somebody with that first name. Now, we can't wrap up this discussion on First Blood without mentioning a, a recent movie came out called Son of Rambo, a direct, oh, no. directed by a British duo, Hammer and Tons. I was only able to catch the first uh, 20 minutes of it on Netflix Watch Instantly. But it's, um, it's based on childhood memories of a, a British, it takes place in England, of a British boy, and he has a friend that's French. And they sneak in to see First Blood on the big screen together when they're like uh, in like fourth or fifth grade, and because of that, they decide to try and like play out in the woods and try to play out pretending like they're Rambo and Troutman. And it it has a lot of heart to it, from what I saw of it. I definitely need to catch up and finish watching that film before we're done discussing these uh, Rambo pictures on the sequel cast. Hey, you know what? There was an there was an 18th century American politician named John Rambo. The son of Peter Gunnarsson uh, Rambo. And why is he important? Well, just like we're trying to figure out where the name comes from. No, I mean history. What did he do? Anything? Oh, uh, let me let me see. Oh, he, oh, you know, this is it. He was he was the child of a family of Swedish immigrants. The hills are alive with the sound of Rambo. Oh, I you know he he was elected to the Council of New Jersey. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so Swedish and from New Jersey. Connection. You know what they say, you can't throw a rock in New Jersey without hitting a Swede. Jesus. Who says that, Uncle Milkshake? I think only you say that. No, yeah, Uncle only Milkshake. I say that. Yeah, you guys up in your Portland, uh, up in the left top corner of the United States. Oh, there's also an American Olympic athlete named John Rambo. He's a high jumper. Now, what era? Was he born after or before the movie? Uh, hmm, he was, uh, yeah, he, uh, he competed in the 1964 Summer Olympics in Tokyo. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I cannot, oh, wait, here we go, born in 43. All right. So a year after the David Morrell. Yeah, so, so it is a real name, it gets around. Oh, and you know what, the, Ram, the, uh, the Rambo Apple is apparently named after the father of, uh, the Rambo from New Jersey, Peter Gunnarsson wow. Rambo. Huh. So there we go. There's there's the whole etymology. You know, I think if I was to make a uh, a Rambo 
like a dessert in tribute to Rambo, it'd have to be an apple pie made with Rambo apples. But I'm not yeah. sure what else would go on that to make oh, it. A no, because it would have it would be an American. It would be a Mac. It would be the like the Wisconsin guy. It would have a piece of cheese. Did you just say teasels would go on top of the pie? Yes. <laughs> a fresh, a fresh sprinkling of teasel. <laughs> not like a, a wedge of cheese on the side, like they serve in the. the Morell's never going to agree to be on our show again. Oh, it's it's all in good fun. The sequel cast. Uh, true. True. Yeah, we thank him for his. Thanks again, David Morell. Uh, or Morell. I'll I'll get that. Yeah, either way, the pronunciation I did is probably wrong. Um, so check out David Morell's latest books. You can also pick up uh, First Blood, the book on which uh, this movie, First Blood, was based on, you know, off his website uh, exclusively in a digital form for the Amazon Kindle or get it at your bookstore, davidmorell.net. That's with two R's and two L's. Um, last thoughts on First Blood. It's, it's a great start to a long-running franchise. That sounds uh, very diplomatically put. Yes, it is. <laughs> well, it, well, I guess that's the thing. It's like the you know, I like I, li- I like this movie. I don't necessarily like the franchise. Let me put it that way. Jersey Jason, your thoughts? Uh, I always love uh, forest traps. No, seriously. Okay, yeah. Rambo and the Ewoks. I mean, come on. <laughs> and Brian and Danny, he is Jabba the Hutt. That's a perfect metaphor. Colonel Troutman is Slave Leia. Um, <laughs> no, no, he'd be uh, uh, on Solo. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Hey, Will, do you want to tell a Brian Denny story? With a Rubik's Cube and a, a pool of <laughs> apple juice? No, no, you should know. You should tell plexus. the Brian Denny story. Uh, he punched me so hard in my solar plexus, I ejaculated my whole entire nervous system. A drug? She lit up like a, she lit up like a pinball machine of billions. Billions. That's a, yeah. that's a joke uh, from Patton Oswald off one of his CDs. Feeling kind of Patton. Feeling kind of patent. <laughs> Definitely check that out. Uh, maybe if we pimp enough of his stuff, he'll appear on the sequel cast. I and thought I about think, emailing I think him, yeah. Netflix should probably be giving you, like, free stuff. Oh, Jesus. Like, ah. um, so, I, I do want to say on First Blood, I really enjoy this movie. After reading the book, it's really weird coming back to First Blood. I just don't enjoy it. They're just two totally different things. Um, you know, it's good. The movie's a good action, thrilling story with... Uh, some heart in there. You know, we didn't uh, even cover Stallone's uh, monologue at the end, which is supposed to be serious. It can come off as funny if you're not used to watching Stallone movies and the way he talks. You know, it can be difficult to understand, but he's really putting his heart on the floor, which isn't something he does in a lot of his films. It's a very emotionally charged sequence in uh, First Blood. Um, Check out our website, sequelcast.com. Send us an email, sequelcast at gmail.com. And check out the Twitter feed, sequel, uh, twitter.com slash uh, sequelcast. This is Uncle Milkshake. Thrasher. And Jersey Jason saying, Road is long, yeah. Oh, God, is anybody winning? The sequel cast airs Wednesdays, 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific time on Cascadia.fm online. Internet streaming radio. You can also download episodes of the sequel cast from www.sequelcast.com.